point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You are listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode, we're talking about a real basketball game that is going to happen very soon, less than 24 hours away as I hit that record button from the Blazers, returning from a four-month hiatus and beginning their seeding games at the Disney World campus in Orlando. So that's what we're going to talk about today. For the new listeners, welcome every Lockdown Blazers. As someone's first Lockdown Blazers, we're very, very happy to have you. The show comes at you multiple times a week in little bite-sized three-segment formats. We're going to stick with the three segments today because the organization helps us all and it, you know, creates room to sell advertising in the space between. But here's what we're going to do. I don't typically do game previews. That's not my style. I don't think it's interesting. I think if that's the thing you want, you can go find it somewhere else. But this, we got to talk about the start of this journey for the Blazers. So I want to provide you with some reasons I'm optimistic and some reasons I'm pessimistic. For longtime listeners, you will remember that pessimism is, is more my speed. That is a place I can hang out more comfortably. It is where my brain tends to go. But The Blazers have given us reasons for optimism. I'm not anti-optimism. I'm just naturally pessimistic. So I want to give you two of each. Two reasons to be optimistic about the Blazers restart. Two reasons to be pessimistic about the Blazers restart. And then in the third segment, we'll close out the show talking about Friday's game against the Memphis Grizzlies and why it is so ding-dang important. So with a mini preamble out of the way, let's get into it. My first reason to be optimistic about the Trailblazers' chances in the Orlando restart are because of Damian Lamont Ollie Lillard. You may know him as the letter O, or Dame Dalla, or apparently, according to basketball reference, Big Game Dame. Although if you call him that, you're weird, not me. I'm not weird for not knowing that nickname. You're weird for using it. In any case... I'm not just saying that because I am starting some in-dame-I-trust campaign, but I really mean not only is Damian Lillard just so damn good. He was the best point guard in the NBA this season. He might not make first-team All-NBA because it's not straight-up point guards. It's just guards. Uh, Bummer. And LeBron James is listed as a guard. So, yeah, he's not going to be on that list, probably. But in any case, it's not just that Damian Lillard was the best player at his position this season. That is part of it. But it is because the other teams vying for a playoff spot in Orlando do not have a player of his quality. Brandon Ingram is an all-star. Zion Williamson is going to be a star in this league. John Morant's going to win Rookie of the Year. De'Aaron Fox is really good. I'm not going to name players on the Suns and Spurs. Sorry. But my point isn't to disparage the Phoenix Suns for deciding they really wanted to come to Orlando. It is to say that while those players are very good, some of them even even excellent, even even among among the you know twenty five best in the NBA, none of them are as good as Damian Lillard, and it's not close. And I think in a tournament like this, the singular talent, that singular just ability of Damian Lillard, is what could set the Blazers apart in this sort of very small sample size. There's not a lot of time to get into it, and there's and there's probably not there's very little margin for error, as we'll talk about later in the podcast. But when you have the best player among those teams, and you have one of the best players in the league, you've got a chance. So this isn't this isn't as much about sort of like 
me believing in Dame's clutch gene or or the, his body of work. Like, look what he did against OKC. This is just like, I've watched him play. You know, I've probably seen 70% of the games in his career and over my last six years covering the team for the Oregonian and NBC Sports Northwest. I've been up close and, and watched him play for nearly all of those games, many, many, many of those games, certainly all the home games. Uh, and I just believe that his singular talent and his ability to take over a game offensively is what's separating him. So it's more about just like a holistic body of work. I believe in Damian Lillard. If he's on the court, they've got a chance. That said, this is where the pessimism comes in. Damian Lillard missed the last two games of the scrimmages with a left foot injury. Terry Stott says it's not a big deal. Or, excuse me, he didn't say it's not a big deal. He said Dame's good to go. He's healthy. He'll play on Friday. Uh, Damian Lillard said he feels good. The left foot's uh, inflammation is not related to plantar fasciitis, a problem that he dealt with during 2015 and 2016 season. He says he's good to go, feels ready, feels good. I never thought that was really in question whether Damian Lillard would play. But the way the injury came up on Sunday, it wasn't really on anyone's radar. And then all of a sudden he's going to miss the game and he's missing the game because of a foot injury. And now he's getting an x-ray and it's, and he's fine. And, and them holding him out and being cautious, I, you know, all, all signs point it's being a minor injury. I think he was always going to sit out the third scrimmage, just like the way CJ set out the third scrimmage. I think uh, Terry Stotts said it after the, the third scrimmage was that the, the practices in Orlando were more important than the scrimmage games. I believe that. Um, for the most part, just because I think you can install real stuff in scrimmages and I don't think Damian Lord needs to get his rhythm there as much as maybe guys like Zach Collins and Yusuf Nurkic did. But just the fact that he's dealing with something gives me some caution because if they don't have Dame, they don't have a chance. Of course, he's going to say he's fine. I always thought he was going to play. And if he was going to play, he was going to downplay the injury. In fact, there's sort of an old adage around the NBA that if you are on the court and not on the injury list, you are healthy. That is in quotes and lowercase h. It is not necessarily true. And I am not saying that Dame's hurt. And I'm not saying that they're hiding something. I'm saying that he had something bothering him earlier this week. And if that thing that is bothering him bothers him further, they're in trouble. Now, I'm inclined to believe him. I'm inclined to not worry. But if there is a pessimistic thought in my head, it's that if he is not 100%, if he is 85%, that might not be enough. Because I am a believer in Dame's ability. I think he's really good. But if he's at 85%, the Blazers' distinct advantage of having the best player chasing a playoff spot is greatly diminished. All right, second segment, I'm going to share another optimistic reason, another pessimistic reason. But before we get there, I want to tell you all about Axios. Start your morning with the news that matters in just 10 minutes. Axios Today hosts Nyla Boodoo, and a team of award-winning journalists will bring you the latest analysis and insight into the trends shaping our world. Today's show is also brought to you by rockauto.com. Y'all know rockauto.com. It's a family business that's been serving auto part customers online for 20 years. You can go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They've got everything you could want from engine control modules to brake pads to tail lamps to motor oil and even new carpet. Rockauto.com catalog is unique, remarkably easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands and specifications and prices you prefer. 
Best of all, the prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low, and the same for professionals as the do-it-yourselfers. Why spend twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. And write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box, so that way they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. All right. So we talked a reason for optimism and a reason for pessimism or a reason for skepticism about the Blazers in the first segment. We're going to do it again here. If Damian Lamont Ali Lillard is not reason alone to be optimistic about the Blazers restart in Orlando, the return of his newly healthy sidekick, Yusuf Nurkic, should boost that optimism. Nurkic hadn't played since March of 2019. He had missed more than a year of basketball. He was set to return back when the league shut down of March of this year. And then he got an extra four months to get right. And he looked pretty darn good in the scrimmages. I think the scrimmages are mostly meaningless. Like, I don't think the outcomes of the games matter. I don't think the rotations, although maybe we saw some insight into how they'll work. I don't think the rotations matter. I don't think the shooting percentages matter. Like, all that stuff just doesn't matter. But you can watch the games and know. And Nurk looked good. He looked good on the boards being physical. He looked good as a defender blocking shots and taking up space by being a giant person, one of his best skills. And he looked good doing different things on offense, bullying guys in the post, taking jump shots. Probably took too many threes for my liking, but that's something he wants to bring to the arsenal. You can expect more of it. And every time they go in, it seems like a little bit of a treat. And he really, really, really showed up for me in the place that I think matters the most, passing the ball. He's going to play with a big man all the time. I think the Blazers are going to play 48% of, or excuse me, 48%, 48 minutes, 100% of the minutes, all 48 of them, maybe 53 if we go to overtime. With two seven-footers on the court, I don't think Yusuf Nurkic is going to play a ton, a ton of minutes at power forward next to Hassan Whiteside, but he's going to play a bunch of minutes next to Zach Collins, and he's going to play some minutes alongside Hassan Whiteside. And his ability to pass and be a playmaker, not just a shooter, I think you can stretch the floor with shooting, I think that matters, that keeps teams honest, but his ability to to pass the ball, to set up guys for dribble handoffs, to find guys back door, just to move the ball smartly and make decisions will really benefit them and will be valuable for a team that's going to be a little upsized. It won't matter against everyone. The league is trending a little bit bigger than maybe it's been the last five years because the the sexiness of the Warriors small ball lineup has gone away and people remember that being big is still a good thing to do while playing basketball. So it's not like the Blazers are going to be wildly oversized against every single team they play, including Friday's game against Memphis, which starts two traditional big men in their starting lineup. But there are going to be times when Nurk is going to be tested by playing not just power forward, but playing in a lineup where he's the biggest dude on the court and teams are daring him to do things from the perimeter or clogging up the paint and proving Zach Collins has to do something from the perimeter. And and Nurk's ability to pass keeps teams honest. It's a thing they just did not have. It's been really special. I think his defense is obvious. Like, I think just his size. He's not an elite, switchy, you know, Draymond Green type center. He's way 
freaking bigger than Draymond Green. That's his strength. He's going to be big and in the way. He's a good position defender. He's got quick hands and good shot blocking instincts. But that ability on offense to bully guys in the post and then be a playmaker out of the high post, low post, and top of the key is why I'm excited about Nurk's return. He's fun. He looks good. And if he's good, the Blazers' ceiling is dramatically increased. That's your reason for optimism number two. Now we got to shift gears. Why should you be pessimistic? Oh, gracious. It's because after Nurk and after Dame, a handful of other guys, the Blazers get thin quick. I am worried specifically about the Blazers' depth. I don't think it is a huge deal because I think one of the things you can do is you can tighten the rotations. You can say, here are the seven dudes who help. You are the seven dudes who play. But the thing is, it leaves no margin for error when you do that. Let's get more specific. Damian Lillard's going to start. CJ McCollum's going to start. Carmelo Anthony's going to start. I believe Zach Collins is going to start at power forward and Nurk is going to start at center. The guarantees off the bench are Hassan Whiteside and Gary Trent Jr. I think those seven dudes are pretty reliable. Gary Trent Jr. is young and maybe could suffer from some inconsistency. Carmelo Anthony is old and maybe could be a little inconsist- inconsistent. All the other guys in between could certainly suffer from inconsistencies here and there, but I think you can bank on those seven dudes being the guys who play a bunch of minutes every night and being pretty reliable. The problem is that that's those are seven names. I think the eighth guy is almost certainly Anthony Simons. He's had such an up and down season, and he, I've said this before, but he just so rarely does three good things in a row. He has moments where you're like, damn, like this kid can really play. That jumper looks so smooth. He's so effortless when he glides through the air. And then he takes a harried shot or he makes a weird pass or he gets blown by three times in a row on defense. And it's just like, oh, yeah, 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 I get it. I remember. I remember his issues. I think the ninth guy is going to be Mario Azonio. Not only because I think he's a little bit more talented right now than Nazir Little, but because Nazir Little missed some time with with a concussion, and because Mario Hazonia is can kind of ball, be a ball handler, and and that specific that specific skill set is probably more valuable. So I think those are your nine guys who play. But I'm not sure that Amphrey Simons makes an impact. I'm not sure that Mario Hazonia makes a positive impact. And anyone below them on the bench would be a real surprise to make a positive impact. I like Winyan Gabriel, but I don't think he's an impactful NBA player. I'm a Chapel Hill native, you know that part of me wants Nazir Little to be a star in the league. But I don't think that's going to happen here in the next three weeks. Not sure it happens in the next three years either, but like, I don't, I think he might be a good NBA player, but I don't think he can be really helpful for these specific eight games that you need to get into the playoffs. I just worry about the depth. And I, like I said, I think you can tighten up the rotation enough such that depth doesn't matter. But it means that Carmelo Anthony has to be good because you don't have another option at small forward. And it means that if Nurk gets in foul trouble and Hassan Whiteside is tired, then you're moving Zach up to power forward. And then you're like, hey, Wenyan Gabriel, can you help? Hey, maybe we go super small. I mean, there's just, it, it compounds on itself because every time you get early foul trouble or you get a little winded or you, you know, tweak an ankle and need three minutes to, re- to retape yourself, you're putting in maybe someone who is in, who is going to be a net negative, and the Blazers don't have a lot of room for net negatives. That's what I want to talk about in the third segment. Friday's game is a must win. I have avoided using that term in the past, but if the Blazers want to get into the playoffs, they cannot lose on Friday. 
That's what we'll talk about in the third segment. Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. You're still listening to Lockdown Blazers, and we're still talking about the Blazers restart in Orlando. The games start to count. What, I think there was an MLB Major League Baseball slogan when they made the uh, the All Star Game count for home court advantage. Now this one counts. Incredibly stupid. Sorry for co-opting their stupid branding. In any case. The Blazers begin their eight seeding games Friday against the Memphis Grizzlies. And like I teased in that second segment, if they lose this one, I don't like their chances of making the playoffs. Let us recap. Let us set the stage. The Blazers do not are three and a half games behind the Memphis Grizzlies in the standings. Currently, uh, percentage points ahead of the New Orleans Pelicans and Sacramento Kings for first place or for, excuse me, for ninth place, first place in the, out of the playoffs, ninth place in the West. They're, they're all those, all those teams, uh, Sacramento, New Orleans, and Portland are three and a half games behind Memphis, who currently holds the last playoff spot. But the Blazers, by virtue of playing two more games before the season shut down, have a small percentage point advantage. If, that the that will be the tiebreaker if teams finish with the same records. So by virtue of playing a handful more games in March before the season ended, the Blazers do have an advantage. They also don't need to catch the Memphis Grizzlies. They don't need to make up three and a half games in an eight-game mini restart to make the playoffs. That's not how it works. This is just a refresher. Many of you might know this, but the Blazers just have to be within four. They need to be in ninth place and within four games of eighth place to trigger a play-in game or a play-in tournament, rather. And if they're in ninth, they would have to beat Memphis two times in this quote-unquote play-in tournament, and then at which point they would make the playoffs and they would probably get the reward of playing the Los Angeles Lakers. Boy, we're a long way from that. We'll talk about it when we get there. All that said, all that minutia said is the Blazers have to stay within four games of Memphis to have a shot. They're three and a half out now. If they lose on Friday, well... I can do that simple math. I'm okay at arithmetic. They'd be four and a half games back of Memphis with seven to play. They wouldn't be out of it mathematically, but boy, would they be in trouble. Not just because they'd be sort of outside of that four game realm, you know, just like slipping below the line of, of forcing a play in, but because Memphis Grizzlies close the their final three games against teams in the East that probably won't have anything to play for. They play Milwaukee, Toronto, and Boston. Milwaukee's basically got... Uh, the first place all wrapped up right now. By the time they play Memphis, they'll have nothing to play for and no reason to play anyone good. Boston and Toronto are jockeying for two and three in the East, but two and three don't mean anything anymore because home court advantage is out the window. If you're in two or three, you are on the opposite side of the bracket of the Bucks, and you're in a good spot. There's no reason to rush. Those three games to me look like wins. The Blazers don't have that luxury. They play the Celtics on Sunday. So not only do the would a loss to Memphis put them just behind behind the eight ball, so to speak, behind the eight ball and MJG. Shout out to Memphis Rap. Um, they would they would just be in an uphill battle because things get easier for the Grizzlies. The Blazers don't have a super cake schedule. The Pelicans do. The Grizzlies have a relatively easy schedule. They were going to have a much harder one if the season had just played out like it was, including two chances to play the Blazers. If the Blazers win, they're two and a half games back. They've already made up some ground. They're in position. 
not in control, but in position. Uh, as I'm recording this, or shortly before I hit record on this, the Pelicans already lost their first game in Orlando. Things could set up and break the Blazers' way. In theory, while this I'm recording this podcast, the Blazers are in control of their destiny. They go 8-0 in Orlando. They put themselves in the position they want to be in. Seems unlikely they win all eight games. That means that they need to win the important ones. I think I've said before, I think they need to win five or six. I'm probably leaning towards six now to really have a legitimate shot. They need to win six games in Orlando, five plus, we'll call it. And one of those has to be Memphis on Friday. I have resisted the phrase must win because I don't think there are regular season games that are must win. There are should wins. But this isn't really the regular season. This is a weird, like, runway to the playoffs for teams that are on the outside. For a lot of teams, it's literally just a warm-up. For the Sacramento, New Orleans, uh, Memphis, Portland quartet, it is a mini-playoff tournament with a round-robin format to get there. So this one is a must-win. If the Blazers want to get where they want to go, They fancied themselves a championship team when the season started. They're not that. They fancy themselves good enough to make noise in the playoffs. But to be that team that makes noise, you've got to get there first. And for my money, you don't get there by losing on Friday. The most important game of the Blazers season happens on Friday. That sounds like a lot of fun, doesn't it? I'm looking forward to it. I hope you are too. The NBA is back. The Blazers are back. It's for real this time. Or this one counts. I already screwed up Major League Baseball's branding. Time to end the show. That's going to do it for this one. Thank you so much for listening. Tell your friends about this podcast. They can get it wherever they already get podcasts. Just search Locked on Blazers. We'll be there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.